All right, well, let's go ahead and take our Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And uh, we're going to finish, or at least, yeah, we're going to finish tonight. Uh, we're going to finish. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to talk as fast as I can. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, we're going to be looking at a biblical case for closed communion. And we are going to finish, Lord willing, tonight. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2 to start with. And I know that's not the text that's on the screen or on your outline, but we're going to start just with those two verses um, and then get right into it. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 1 and 2, the Bible says this, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And then he says in verse number 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. To keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And uh, let's pray one more time. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to once again gather together uh, to consider this important topic. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have open hearts, help us to have um, a willingness to hear what your word has to say about this topic. And uh, God, I pray that you would help me to articulate it clearly and uh, in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so as a reminder, uh, we've been looking at why I believe our church should go from close to closed in our position on communion. And there are three positions when it comes to the Lord's Supper. We talked about open being one of them. And open means anyone may, may partake. There's no restrictions. And we would say that that's not a biblical uh, position to take when it comes to communion. Well, then the other two um, are close, which means members and others who are in the service of church of, of a church of like faith and practice may, may partake, um, which is what we are currently at this very moment. We're talking about going to close, which means only a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church can partake or a member of a local church may partake. And I explained that my testimony is for the last almost 25 years, quarter of a century, I've held to the close position. Uh, it's what I've been used to. It's what I've always known. And uh, when I came here, that's what this church was. And I went, good, that works really well. It's a good fit um, because that's what I currently know. Well, the Lord has been working on my heart, as I mentioned uh, last Wednesday night over the last um, year or two. Um, regarding this topic, and I believe that um, after doing some study and having some good conversations with some good men about this issue, um, I believe that the Lord is leading uh, me and therefore our church to become uh, closed in the communion position. And we began talking about some of the reasons why I believe the Bible teaches a closed position and we went through four of them. I just for uh, review sake, and I just zip through those. They're already listed on your outline tonight, but I'll just mention them. So number one, the ordinances are local church ordinances. And um, in verse number two, as I just read a moment ago, uh, Paul says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And he gave them to this local church, um, to the church at Corinth, and to a local church. Um, and that that's pretty important to understand. And um, 
it's a, a local church ordinance. And, and to go along with that, number two, I mentioned the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 were written to a local church. And uh, 1 Corinthians starts with, um, in verse number one of that, of, of this book, uh, I'm going to turn over there and just read that. Verses one and two says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ uh, through the will of God and so through this, our brethren unto the church of God, which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. So he's writing to this church, this specific local church that's at Corinth. Um, and then in uh, chapter 11, all these things, uh, several verses, he refers to this local assembly, verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. He's referring to this church when you come together in the church. Uh, verse number 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place. Uh, verse 26 says, ye eat this bread and drink this cup. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Verse uh, 33, Where, wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat. So uh, this is written to a local church, and the context of the instructions given here in, in chapter number 11 uh, regarding the Lord's Supper were written to a local church. Um, so those, those kind of one and two, points one and two go together, um, but they are a little separate. All right, then number three, we mentioned uh, one of the reasons is because it promotes unity in the local church. Uh, unity with one another, unity with the Lord's desire to follow him in baptism, and then united with the church in membership. Um, and um, we, we talked a little bit about partaking of the Lord's table. When we do that, we're uniting around the doctrine of the atoning work of Christ. And that's a un unity thing in the local church. And, and not one of these would you say, okay, well, I'm going to hang my hat on that one, and that's the reason I'm gonna, we're going to be closed. I think, just like in the King James Version issue, when you, when you look at all of them together, it's pretty clear that you know, King James Version is the most accurate, uh, best translate, tra translation for the English-speaking people. It is the preserved Word of God. Um, and, and the same thing with this. It's, you say, well, this isn't that strong of an argument. Well, when you put them all together it does form a pretty strong uh, argument biblically for why a church should be closed when it comes to communion. So it promotes unity in the local church. Number four, uh, it preserves doctrinal purity in the local church. And this one is really important. Um, and I explained that there have been people who have come who disagree with our doctrine, and uh, they, they haven't been... Uh, ugly about it all. They've actually been honest about it, but they said, you know, do you have to be a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church to partake? And at this point, I have had to say, no, you don't need to be a member. You can still partake. Now, I can say, well, no, no, but you, we need to be of like faith and practice, and and I can kind of get into that. But But if there's people here who do not agree with us doctrinally, and we continue to allow them uh, to... Um, be here um, and partake, and uh, then then they're, the, you know, I'm not trying to get people to leave Cornerstone Baptist Church, okay, uh, in this at all. I want people to be here. I want I want more people to come. I want to fill up. We we have we have a lot of seats available tonight. I, I want to fill them up, but I want I want to fill them up with people who are like minded with us, and not just uh, anybody and everybody. Um, and 
so it does preserve doctrinal purity in the local church when we uh, go to clue, uh, closed communion. See, doctrine is the glue that holds us together, and we need to unite around our doctrine, uh, not just around, hey, we all live in more, and we all like to be around each other. We need to unite around doctrine. Um, and when we looked at the, we talked about the churches in Revelation um, and how God wasn't like, hey, look, you're, you're so big or you're, you're too small. And, um, you know, I'm, I have a problem with that. No, when you research those seven churches in, that are mentioned in Revelations 2 and 3, um, all of them, the ones who are commended are commended for their doctrinal purity. And they dealt with those who were among them who taught differently, who taught heresy. And we need to be a pure church. God wants a pure church. We want to be welcoming and loving, but once again, it's his church. We need to line up with the scriptures in a loving way, but we need to remember that purity comes before peace. And we spoke about that quite a bit. And that kind of brings us up to where we stopped last Wednesday night. Let's get into these new thoughts here. Number five. Um, why um, a biblical case for closed communion number five for the protection of guests for the protection of guests so we have uh, let's say our church is having a communion service and we have guests that come in um, now what what is the potential for someone taking communion here uh, well verse number 27 uh, Paul says in first Corinthians 11 wherefore Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. See, here's the deal. The uninformed individual or guest, may have every good intention in desiring to receive the Lord's Supper, but Paul admonishes, according to the word he received from the Lord, that they are to, they are to eat and drink worthily, not unworthily. Now, in the same way, good medicine can be improperly taken, so the church desires to safeguard the uninformed or the guest from taking the good medicine of the Lord's Supper without first reading the label. Therefore, the Christian church will, in love, prevent the uninformed from harming themselves by eating without proper discernment of what the Lord's Supper actually is. Um, now, 1 Corinthians 11, I, um, I, I don't know the spiritual status of any guest that comes into Cornerstone Baptist Church. And, and, and obviously, I don't know the heart of anybody else in the room tonight, really, except for my own. But as the pastor um, and the shepherd of this church, and I realize that when I say that, I'm not saying that I'm more important than Christ. He's the good shepherd. Um, and of course, I'm under him, obviously. But um, there is a level of discernment. There is a level of um, ability to kind of know the state of your flock. Um, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, be diligent, be thou diligent to know the state of your flock. And, you know, as I'm, as I see you in church and as I, as I, as I watch your life, um, and watch for your souls, you know, I, I do have a little bit of a read on you and that don't, don't get creeped out by that. Okay. Uh, it's because I care about you. And, and yet I don't have that with guests who come in to partake and I don't want to 
give these elements and then they partake and then they're um, potentially taking unworthily. And, I, and, and you might think, well, isn't that between them and God? Yes, but I'm the one that's administering these elements and I have to have a clear conscience about who I'm administering these elements to and who I'm giving these elements to. I don't want to give them to somebody who may be completely not right with God and they just, because of the peer pressure of the moment, partake. And, uh, and, and I can say all the things that I can say. This is a way to eliminate that, um, that, that option. And it really is for the protection of guests. It's one of the reasons. And, um, you know, this is what happened in the, in the early church. Now, they were perhaps members. They just were completely flippant about the whole situation. They even came into the Lord's Supper potentially drunk. In verse 21, it says, uh, For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. So evidently, I mean, these people who were just totally abusing and uh, misusing the Lord's Supper, not having the right spirit at all toward it. And I don't know um, when guests come in if that's going to be their spirit. I don't know that. Um, so it is a protection for them uh, to not partake with the local church. Um, okay, so number five for the protection of guests. Number six, let me cover a few more here. To prevent a pastor from usurping pastoral authority over another man's flock to prevent a pastor from usurping pastoral authority over another man's flock. Now, I don't want to assume authority over someone else, especially a member from another church of like faith. I believe the Lord's Supper is a local church ordinance, which we've already covered. So I don't want to serve the Lord's table, the members of another church, as I believe to do so would actually be shepherding another man's flock. Now, when people who come into Cornerstone Baptist Church um, and become members here, I've heard the salvation testimony of the members um, that have come in and joined. Um, Zach and Sarah uh, just joined on Sunday, and uh, we uh, had dinner together. And one of the things that came up in that dinner was I said, if you could please share with us your salvation testimony. And we've gotten to hear that. Well, if we have somebody else come in from outside who um, I, I haven't had the chance to hear their salvation testimony. And again, I'm not the final authority. I get that. But I am the pastor of this church. And I have to have a clear conscience again on who um, we are giving the elements to. And, and then there is also accountability between the church and the members as well. Um, and we can kind of all, we have, we have that, we have that accountability with one another and that, that, that's helpful. Um, there is a basic understanding of the spiritual condition with those within my flock, whereas I don't have that with somebody from a different flock. And since a pure Lord's Supper is the objective of church judgment, a local congregation can only commune with those whom it can discipline. Each church is responsible to judge those within its membership and not to commune with known um, public sinners. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 um, and other places in the New Testament. 
If we extend participation beyond our own membership, we may invite the leaven of malice and wickedness to the table, for we do not know visitors as well as we know our own members, and we have no discipline authority over them. And that's, that's huge. Now, visitors, no matter how well-known and respected, are not members of the body they are visiting. Um, if you go to Colossians chapter number four, and, um, I, and I know that some, there are some Christians who, um, who, who don't believe membership is in the Bible. Now, the word membership is not in the Bible. The word member is, but the word mem- church membership is not. Um, but the concept of membership is. Um, if you look at uh, Colossians chapter number four and verse number nine, Um, It says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brethren who is, what are the next three words there? Yeah, so with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brethren who is one of you. In other words, they belong to your, your church. Onesimus belongs to the church there at Colossae. And then if you go down to verse number 12 in that same chapter, It says, Epaphras, who is, what are the next three words? One of you. Okay, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. So Epaphras and Onesimus were both members of the church there at Colossae. They belonged to that church. They were one of them. And um, and, and so there, there, there is a... If somebody comes in who's not a member of this church, then I, if I partake or let them partake, then I'm basically usurping authority over somebody else's church um, and over somebody else's authority. Um, okay, so there's that one. And then number seven, um, it's to promote the authority of the local church regarding church discipline. And this is not... my favorite topic at all to preach about church discipline, but it is in the Bible. It is scripture and it is a part of church life. Now, according to Matthew 18, the local church is God's highest institution on earth in spiritual authority. Suppose someone is not in right fellowship with his church, or perhaps he has even been dismissed from his church. Well, if he comes to Cornerstone Baptist church, when we're serving the Lord's table, I would have no knowledge of the situation. And if I allowed him to partake, I would be negating the authority of the discipline administered by his local church. And that's a real possibility if, if there's somebody who comes in who uh, may be under church discipline, and I wouldn't know, and they probably wouldn't divulge it the first time they come in, and they say, hey, pastor, how are you? And uh, good, how are you? Uh, well, yeah, I'm under church discipline. Most of the time, that's gonna, not going to come up in the very first couple minutes of a conversation. Um, it usually comes up later. Usually it even has to come from his pastor when he finds out he's coming to this church. And I contact the pastor and say, hey, so-and-so has been coming. Do you, everything okay with that? Um, and then he can say, well, no, they're under church discipline. Okay, well, good, good to know. Um, and again, if I would have allowed uh, him to partake, I'd be negating the authority of the discipline administered by his local church. And uh, 1 Corinthians 5 gives an illustration of church discipline in relation to the Lord's table and uh, Lord's Supper. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 very quickly. 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read just the whole chapter here. Uh, verse 1 says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done that hath done that hath so done this deed. Well, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such and one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs, ye must, uh, then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such, notice this in the end of verse 11, with such and one, no, not to eat. And that's in relation to the Lord's Supper. Okay, so, um, and then for what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. We are supposed to judge them that are within. But them that are without, God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, that's not very loving. Well, it's necessary for the church to be pure. And it's, it's not to say we're looking for somebody to give the boot tonight. <laughs> Um, that, that's, not, that's not the idea, that's not the spirit of it, but if there is a situation like what was going on in the church at Corinth, they needed to deal with it, and they weren't dealing with it. Now, this passage, of course, describes a sad situation in which a man in the church was living in gross immorality. Because the man was not repentant and was flaunting his sin, desiring to partake of the Lord's table as if nothing was amiss, Paul instructed the church to let him go to release him from the church's spiritual protection and membership. Now, suppose this man had traveled to another city and attempted to par partake of the Lord's table in another church, say, Cornerstone Baptist Church. If he was allowed, the other pastor would be unintentionally interfering with the Corinthians church, Corinthian church's discipline. Now, God has given the ordinance of the Lord's table as a sacred trust to his church, when before, when before observing the Lord's table, we prepare and cleanse our hearts, God uses a special time to bring revival to the church. That's really the purpose of it. So, to promote the authority of the local church regarding church discipline. And again, all of these kind of pieces of the pie all kind of form a pretty good argument that... Um, Communion, at least in my heart and mind, uh, needs to be closed. Okay, number eight, let's cover this last one here. What about the Apostle Paul? And the reason I mention that is because this has been my hang-up on the issue. Would 
you know, if the Apostle Paul comes to the church at Corinth, would they say, oh, you're not a member here, so therefore you cannot partake? Um, and we have a record of where Paul was a member. He was a member of the church at Antioch. Antioch. But in Acts chapter number 20, if you turn over there real quickly, this is the text that the passage that those who hold to the close communion position use to defend Paul as partaking um, in a church that he was not a member of. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, it says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, sat in a window, a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. We were just talking about that in our staff meeting today. Um, and as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the bed. Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, said, Trouble it not yourselves, for his life is in him. Uh, when he uh, therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. So he departed and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So this is a record of when Paul was there in, in the church at Troas um, and uh, communed with them, broke bread with them. So evidently he uh, partook of communion there. Now, it's not clear that it was communion, the Lord's Supper, like we were referring to. Although, for sake of argument, let's say it was. Um, now, again, this is, a, this is the um, um, argument that I've used to defend, actually, close communion. Um, and maybe I've even used it with you <laughs> when you were coming to join the church. From a closed communion standpoint, and you're coming to Cornerstone Baptist Church, was, which, was, which was close. And I brought this up as an issue. But one truth that has come to my attention regarding the Apostle Paul here is that the Apostle Paul was just that. He was an apostle. Um, we don't have apostles now. Um, you think about this for a quick second. Um, the Apostle Paul spoke in tongues. Does that mean we all need to speak in tongues? Well, he was an apostle. He healed men by the use of handkerchiefs or aprons. He visited the third heaven. He wrote inspired epistles. He took up serpents. He was an apostle. Um, now, his apostolic office no longer exists. And so we now have members, deacons, and pastors um, among a single local church. Now, Paul was not necessarily an ordinary member um, he was an apostle, and he had responsibilities over um, not just to one assembly. He had the care of all the churches, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28. So to, to use the Apostle Paul as proof for close communion um, in that way, then, then, you, then you could use the Apostle Paul as proof that we all need to go find a bunch of snakes and have them bite us tonight. Now, I'm not... Trying, trying to go too far with this, but you, you get what I'm saying. He was an apostle, and that, that there's a different, uh, in the book of Acts, it's a transitional book, and, and 
and and to build doctrine about what he did um, is not always the best thing to do. Okay, so we don't argue from the example of an apostle for a general rule covering all ordinary saints in the kingdom of Christ. Now, again, if it came down to this reason as the only means to make a decision, I wouldn't necessarily be convinced. But when you combine it all with the other reasons we've already talked about tonight, it becomes crystal clear to me that the best, most biblical possession regarding the Lord's Supper is closed, or better worded, church communion, where it's local church communion. Now, a couple of other questions, not on this outline that uh, tonight that I want to uh, consider. Uh, one, one, one might think, aren't we all members of Christ's redeemed body, the church? Aren't we like all, shouldn't we all be allowed to partake because we're all members of Christ's redeemed body? Now, the truth is, for those who are true believers, we are members of his body, the redeemed family of God and the general assembly. That church, that church does not assemble or have any function on earth. It doesn't assemble together on Sundays on the first day of the week. It doesn't um, sing together. It doesn't discipline, commune on earth in one place, which is necessary for the Lord's Supper. So um, this is, you know, the universal church. Uh, the emphasis is on the local church where you gather together when you can discipline, when you each, you know, and when you can have the Lord's Supper, when you can have baptisms, when you can give upon the first day of the week, um, that yes, all true members, uh, believers are members of his body, the redeemed family of God, but um, the emphasis is on the local church. Another question that may come up is, well, isn't it selfish and anti-Christian to deny communion to sincere believers? No, it's not selfish and anti-Christian to obey Christ, right? If a sincere believer wishes to commune around the Lord's table, then he should hasten to his local church, assemble together with his fellow members, fellowship there after the scriptural pattern. We might as well ask, is it selfish and anti-Christian to deny communion to someone who wants cookies and milk rather than unleavened bread and wine? See, we're first to be pure, then peaceable. Um, now, I would say that the believer who has yoked up and joined a local church, or who has not yoked up and joined a local church, is not in submission to the Lord. Um, I heard this statement, and I think it's excellent and helpful, because, and this may help make this concept make sense. So many people want to be attached to the head, him, without being attached to the body. And it's not really possible. It's kind of like, it's a little bit like the marriage issue, okay? Um, we all would say that, you know, a couple that is shacked up together, living together before they're married, you know, wanting all the benefits of marriage without the commitment and accountability and, you know, decision um, that, that we would all say that that's wrong. And yet there's a lot of Christians who are in churches who don't want the accountability um, and they want all the benefits. Um, and we, we need to be connected to not just the head and, you know, and obviously that's the most important, but we need to understand that the body is also very important. 
If you if you go back, let's go back to First Corinthians uh, eleven here. I'm almost done. We are finishing. Um, in verse number twenty nine, I want you to consider this thought. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh him damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's, what's the last word in that verse? Body. Now, we often, you know, what, what, what does the Lord's body here refer to? Does it just refer to his broken body that was broken for us? Or, or now is it maybe referring to the body of Christ, the local church? I think it can mean both. Um, we need to obviously discern the Lord's body and the fact that it was broken for us and all of that. But then we also need to understand the importance of the local church because guess what comes next in chapter number 12? Look in verse number 12 of chapter 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And he goes on down talking about the different members of the body and the members of the church body and being different, having some different, um, you know, the whole eye thing. If, you know, uh, if one, if there was just one giant eye, um, that, that pretty crazy analogy. So here in verse 29, he says, not discerning the Lord's body. And then in chapter 12, he starts going in and talking about the church as a body. So there, there is a connection between the Lord's Supper and the church. And you can't, you can't, you can't get past that. Um, so here's what I'm going to ask um, every member of this local church to do. I'm going to ask you... Um, to pray about this, and of course, we'll be taking this vote uh, on Sunday night, and uh, to pray about this and to consider these uh, eight different thoughts that I've, I've shared with you, and uh, obviously do your own research as well, but to pray about it. And then if you're a member of this church, one of the things I'm going to ask you as well to do, and it was in the first verse we, we mentioned here, uh, tonight, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Um, this is not my MO. I don't normally say something like this um, because I, re I recognize that I'm a man and I'm no better than any person here, but the office that, that I hold is one that is very important um, to the Lord. The Holy Ghost has made me to be the overseer here. And I'm gonna ask you to pray about this, of course, but then to follow me as I really, in my heart, believe that I'm following Christ in this matter. Um, one, more, one more reference, and then I'm gonna say a couple more things and then we'll be done. Hebrews chapter number 13. So basically, I'm saying to follow the pastor that God has placed in this church and in your life. 
in Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So, I'm going to ask you to follow the faith of your pastor. Um, to be very frank with you, I there was some nervousness about bringing this subject up at all, because obviously it's a lot easier to just let things go as they were, because no one says anything. No one's like, what's going on here? What's he trying to do? What I'm trying to do here is honestly follow the Lord, and I want you to, I'm, I'm asking you um, to follow the faith of your pastor. And it has taken some faith to get up here and explain all these things. Um, because I know that this isn't what our church has held to for the last, I don't know, uh, 10 years or so or more. And um, going back to the way things used to be many uh, years ago, um, it's a change. And again, as I mentioned when we started this, Baptists don't like change. And I am of the same opinion. But when I believe that the change is from the Lord, and it's, I'm not trying to take us down this path where we're going to be like rock and roll next Sunday. I'm not going that direction. I'm trying to actually go the opposite direction and lead towards holiness and righteousness and purity. It, that's my heart in this. It's, it's, not, it's not to please anybody else. It's to, to please the Lord. And so here's what it's going to look like, um, assuming that it passes on Sunday night. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, so we had in... Since I've been here, we've been doing it um, about once a quarter. And this year, uh, I think I only want to do it twice to start with this year to kind of see how it goes. And the times that I would like to do it is um, the Tuesday night before Resurrection Sunday. And we'll have a Tuesday night communion service, and that will be for members only. And then we'll have a midweek service on Wednesday night. So we'll have two services that week um, for our just regular church family and whoever wants to come. But we're not going to, um, I guess we have our Tuesday night communion service kind of out there on our calendar and whatnot. But that's going to be limited to members only. And then uh, the Wednesday night service will be a regular normal Wednesday night service. And then in December, I would like to have another communion service, and it'll be after a Sunday night uh, service. We'll have our normal Sunday night service. It may be abbreviated a little bit. We'll take about a 10-minute break after the service, and I will say uh, for those who are not members of Cornerstone Baptist Church, you will be dismissed after the service. I'm going to ask our members to stay behind, and then we'll come back together and have our communion time as a church family, as uh, the members uh, only there. So that's kind of how I'm planning to do that this year, again, assuming it passes um, on Sunday night. Now, I'll say this last thing, and then we will be done. Um, 
the spirit in this discussion is not to cast out non-members. Okay. Um, it's not, it's not to do that, but it, and, and to say that we're better than people who are not members of our church. The idea is to have them join our church so that they can partake, to yoke up with us. My spirit in this, not, not to cast them out, but to say, come on and join us. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Let's pray. Um, we're going to do some prayer requests, but then after the service, if you have um, more that you'd like to talk with me about, I will be here. Um, if you want to set up an appointment and talk further um, in the next couple days, uh, I will be available. Um, I know this is a, a change for some, and um, if you have more to if you have more to add that could be helpful, um, I would be glad to hear it. But um, I sure love you, and thank you for listening tonight. And I appreciate your heart in being here. And uh, I'm trusting the Lord to um, work through this situation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity tonight to discuss this important matter. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, there would be an understanding heart and there would be a desire to follow um, the direction here, not because it's me, but because it's based on the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that... Um, you would help us to have unity here, that there wouldn't be this division on who's for it, who's against it, but Lord, that we would just be united as a church family in this scenario, that we would desire to follow you ultimately. Um, God, I ask that um, you would um, just help us to have a sweet time on Sunday night as we vote. Uh, may it may it be... Um, um, just a, a real positive time as we come together and decide to go forward in, um, in, in righteousness in this way. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.